Welcome to another episode of Preferred Walk-On. I'm your host, Max Chalk, alongside my co-host, Dalton Wasserman. And Dalton, you know, last week we, we talked about this week three in college football, and we're like, you know, not many great games on the slate, but here's the games that we're looking forward to. And as we said before, the weeks in college football where you think not really a great slate, it turns into madness, and man, we had some madness this past weekend. Oh, you knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. Anytime they go, it's not a great slate. This is a week one. Take Saturday off from watching. These <laughs> these are the weeks that scare coaches the most. We said it last week. It was bound to be a circus one way or the other. You know, only two ranked teams lost, but that was enough, and you had a bunch of other ones that got scares. These, these are the weeks, especially you're talking for a lot of teams, it was the first week of conference play that really – They put a scare into coaches, they put a scare into teams, and it's what makes college football great every single week, no matter what the projections say. Absolutely, man. So you mentioned those two ranked teams that lost. So by the way, this is our review episode. We're going over the uh, our biggest takeaways from the week of college football. So we're going to go over those two ranked teams that lost. And then also later on, stay tuned because we're very excited about doing a panic meter segment because they were four really good teams playing for really not so good teams and they all struggled with those teams so we're gonna go through a panic meter for those four teams and say how worried we are after that game but first uh first one that we want to talk about Dalton is this Florida Tennessee game Florida beating the number 11 ranked volunteers 29 to 16 and I want to shout out Billy Napier uh Dalton because he clearly watched preferred walk-on last week and he ran the ball all game against the volunteers and like we said it worked yeah, it sure did. Um, you know, we talked about it last week. Florida won a the game. They won the game exactly how they want to win every week. Uh, mm-hmm. Run the ball. Don't turn it over. Time of possession. And just get ahead and stay ahead. And and ETN had over 170 yards, forced nine missed tackles. Oof. Florida held the ball for 37 and a half minutes, uh, which anytime you hold the ball that long, you have to win. You know, getting up early, 26 to 7. They made the one big play on defense uh, with the interception off of the hit on Milton, just if there was a blueprint for how Florida would want to win every single week, it's that Tennessee game right there. They were, they were excellent. They limited big plays on defense. And, and that's the thing they ran the ball. The other thing I'm going to point out too, is they just, they expanded the offense a little bit. They, their first two games, they only ran motion on 59% roughly of their plays. And in this game, they were all the way up to 83. They really stressed out, Tennessee's run defense, honestly, in ways that I didn't think they would. I thought they would kind of line up and play bully ball and run right at them. And they they threw they threw a lot of wrinkles in their offense, and Tennessee fell for the window dressing. Absolutely. Yeah, you mentioned Trevor Etienne. Montreal Johnson Jr. really didn't get that much run in this game. It was the Etienne show from the jump. He had seven and a, 172 rushing yards, seven and a half yards per carry, too, for Trevor Etienne. Um, you know, you, you kind of went into it. We were talking about this before. You never really liked Florida that much. I was in kind of the camp where I was like, that Utah loss to me was more about coaching than anything else. Florida has some stupid mistakes and just, fr- uh, frankly, got outcoached in that game. They still have some talent on this team, so I'm a little uh, – I still think this is a quality team. I don't think they should be ranked as they are right now in the AP poll um, that, because we're going to get into another team pretty soon that I do have ranked that beat uh, the other ranked team but yeah man I mean I, listen it sounds weird coming from a PFF podcast an analytics based podcast where PFF is a whole company if you say run the ball you might get fired from PFF honestly and 
honestly, this is the, the game plan. This is the blueprint for Florida, and we were kind of bashing them for throwing the ball 70% of the time. Now they got back to their identity, I think, and now this is the identity they should stick with for the rest of the season. But quickly, Don, going to the other side of the ball, the Volunteers, man, this offense really struggled, only putting up 16 points in the loss. Uh, what did you make of Tennessee's performance in this game? Um, I, going back and watching it, I think their offense, it's hard. You know, I think coaches love being simple, right? Mm-hmm. And and when you have a ton of talent and you're just better, like last year we talked about when they had Hooker and Hyatt and Tillman, they could be simple and just dominate teams on talent. They don't have that level of talent this year. Right now, it, you watch them and it kind of looks like they have three plays in the playbook. You either run inside with right, you throw a screen to the outside, or Joe Milton's going to throw the ball as far as he can. Now he hit three big balls, mm-hmm. but you know, right now everything else outside of those three balls, they they were just they were right at a hundred yards rushing. They they run a ton of screens, and Florida did a good job in the screen game. And Milton didn't complete enough passes outside of you know those two things. Outside of screens, he ran only he went only thirteen of twenty six. Um, you're just not. It's going to be hard to win games when you only complete half of your conventional passes. And you know he had the three the three deep balls, but it's hard to complete those consistently. Three for nine on the deep ball, three big time throws for sure. But to go only 13 of 26 on non-screens, they just don't have enough chain moving in their offense, especially if they're not if they're only going to run the ball for 100 yards total on the night. They're going to really struggle. They they need to they need to find a way to move the chains without it being Milton throwing the ball over the top. Absolutely, you mentioned that it's kind of like the, the really boomer bust offense. Seriously, like if if Milton's not finding the deep ball, they're not going to get much going offensively. Now, I did think he played okay in this game. He had an eighty-three passing grade, three big-time throws, no turnover number where he plays. But as you mentioned, like it really was those three great throws that are boosting his grade because otherwise, besides the screen passes, like you said, he completed fifty percent of his passes. Uh, for me, I, I think the twelfth man for Florida played a huge role in this game. That stadium was rocking all night. Uh, Tennessee had five false starts on the night. 10 penalties total for 79 yards. The offensive line did not help out Joe Millen. Had a 32% pressure rate in the game. And also, I'm not trying to make excuses and say, you know, Tennessee um, that Florida really didn't win this game. But Tennessee also had a couple really bad unlucky plays I I should say you know on fourth and one Tennessee was going quickly they had Florida on their heels and all of a sudden the referee kicks the ball they have to reset Florida gets substitutions in and they make the stop on a fourth and one Uh, later on the the referees called a blindside block call on Tennessee that really wasn't should have been called either that took away a major first down and killed a drive for Tennessee Um, so yeah man it really is Uh, and then also the Tennessee jumped on fourth and one when Florida was clearly on their own 35 yard line clearly looking for an offside. They were going to call timeout and punt the ball, and Tennessee still jumped on that. So yeah, uh, the defense not really helping out, I would say, that the offense too much in this game. And I think uh, I- I'm not fully selling the volunteers just yet, I, would, I should say. You, you, have a team, you have a team that they really they couldn't afford to fall behind, right? The yeah. first drive for the Gators took uh, right around half the quarter, if not eight minutes. You have a team that fell behind on the road against a team you do not want to fall behind against. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Gators, we talked about it last week, the game script is so big. If they score first, if they get ahead, especially ahead, you know, and Milton's interception was unlucky. He was hit as he threw, yeah. you know, protection broke down. He got hit as he threw. The ball was basically punted. Um, you know, at 12-7 to 7 with the ball, you feel fine. But when they get an interception like that, 
and the place is going nuts and all of a sudden it's 19 to 7 you fall by you know this gator team i don't think they're the best team in the country i don't think they're better than georgia anything like that but if you fall behind them you're in a dangerous spot yeah because they're going to sit back especially against a team like tennessee they're going to prevent as many deep balls as they can big shots they're going to make you work for it and they're just going to run until the clock runs out and and when etn especially gets in a groove i'll tell you he's He's not quite as versatile as his older brother, mm-hmm. but as a classic runner, kind of a more classic back, he's he's just as good between the tackles, if not better. Speaking of that Joe Millen interception, I actually tweeted this out, and uh, it was a bad decision by Millen, a bad throw, whatever. But also, I want to point out that Desmond Watson was uh, basically spearing him on that play. 435-pound Desmond Watson. Milton still threw that ball 40 yards downfield, even while he was getting yeah. tackled by a ne- um, nearly a 450-pound man. So that arm strength, man, is no joke. But yeah, the Volunteers, not a great game in this one. The other ranked team that went down, Dalton, uh, on Saturday was number 15, Kansas State, losing on a 61-yard field goal, the tying the SEC record, actually no, longest kick in the SEC history by Harrison Mevis, who I think is one of the best kickers in the country as well. Missouri taking down Kansas State in this one, 30-27. What were your biggest takeaways from this uh, massive noon game, Dalton? Well, you, you mentioned Mevis first, and I will say this. If, if you didn't know him before, you know him now, and he's mm-hmm. in the books forever. I mean, props to him. A kick like that, especially when it was, when it was I think it was raining, or at least drizzling at the time, you know, the last few minutes of that game when he made that kick. Just an incredible kick, an incredible game. Yeah. Really, very well played. Very well played on both sides. But the biggest thing, Missouri with no turnovers. Um, this is what they look like if they don't turn the ball over. Brady Cook, with it was his first game of his career with three big-time throws and no turnover-worthy plays. He was spectacular. Luther Burden, we, we talked about it during the game, actually. He's an absolute stud. Yeah. Uh, deep ball, screens, after the catch. They have built this offense around him. He's an absolute stud, but I have to give them credit. And Missouri didn't run the ball great in this game. They had... They had um, certainly, I think it was about 100 yards also, maybe 90-something. I can't remember the exact number, but it wasn't probably as high as they wanted it to be. Mm -hmm. But they only gave up 140 on the ground this year instead of 235. So they didn't get blown away in the run game. But the biggest thing is they went from, you know, they had four turnovers in this game last year to none this year. And Cook had a deep passing grade of 89.8. He was making big big plays when they needed them and, and him and burden really are a combination that if they don't turn the ball over that's that's a force to be reckoned with now absolutely so you mentioned the rushing yeah missouri only had 74 yards on the ground averaging two and a half yards Ooh, per carry man, like that is yeah that's that's usually you see that it's like oh, kansas state is, is probably gonna beat him down because like i said yes. brady uh brady cook man we were low on him we were saying this guy you know I, I just don't know if brady cook can do it and he proved us wrong man like you said three big time throws no turnover worthy plays uh luther burden this was his come out game i think he I, he had a great year last year he had a great start to this season as well now everyone knows who this guy is now if you're looking for who the favorite to be uh, for wide receiver one in the 2025 nfl draft because keep in mind he's only a true sophomore it's this guy luther burden third is right now the favorite to be wide receiver one next year man seven catches 114 yards two touchdowns 90 of those 114 yards came after the catch i think this guy has debo samuel like ability man he he remind actually you know I was I was watching the tape earlier and he I was trying to think of a name I'm like he reminds me of somebody who is it uh, you know and it took me and it you know what it just came to me right now 
I, I don't know that he'll be as good, but the skill set, does it look like Devontae Smith a little bit? A little bit, man. It does a little I, bit. That that was the name. He's not as thick as he's not as thick as Debo. He's a little more wiry, but yeah. he's got just that he's just got that wiry quickness that for some reason you can't touch. The name just came to my head now after about two hours of thinking about it. He, <laughs> I don't know if he'll be that good because Devontae's a freak of nature even now. The skill set reminds me a little of Devontae Smith. Get him the ball any which way you can. You got him RPO sliding across the field, screens, deep balls, mm-hmm. slants. And then after the catch, man, he he and he's he's only a sophomore, I believe. He's yep. he's it. He is he is one of the best receivers in the country right now. Um, he he they have built this offense. Look, if you told me last week, hey, Missouri's only going to run for seventy four yards in this game, I would have told you they would they would lose by at least seventeen. Yeah. And 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 him and Cook, what especially what Burden did with the expo- four explosive plays in the passing game by himself. I mean, just turn the game, turn the game around. He just, you can't, you can't cover him and you can't tackle him. It's, it's, he's, he's a problem. He is priority number one when you play Missouri as a defensive coordinator. Absolutely. He was the number three overall recruit coming out of high school too. the number one receiver coming out of high school. And he's proving why right now, man. I mean, he is an absolute superstar. And like I said, uh, there's a lot of great receivers in college football right now. Uh, but I think the guy who could be the best receiver in college football, maybe next year is Luther Burton. He's even one of the best right now, man. He's got the second highest grade, second highest receiving grade in the country right now at 89.9. But, uh, yeah, man, listen, I said before in our preview, uh, Eli Drinkwitz, you need a signature win. You need it because you haven't done well in your four years at, at Missouri. They got it now. Now they got it now. Now this Missouri team, I have them ranked number 25 in my ranking. They're 3-0 and to start the year right now. Uh, this is a big-time win for uh, for Eli Drinkwitz. They had the, the fans storming the field. You have the uh, the great kick, obviously, one of the now one of the best moments probably in Missouri football history. Uh, and what I think people forget about that kick was that Missouri took a stupid delay of game right before that kick. So it went yeah. from a 56-yarder yeah. to a 61-yarder, and Miva said, man, it just makes it look all that better for him, man. And, and Eli, even after the game, said uh, he did that on purpose to to make it more dramatic. You know, obviously. Oh, and that and, and that kick, I'll tell you too. That kick didn't just clear the crossbar. That that would have been good from sixty five or sixty six. Yep. He he drilled that ball. I mean, it, in in a little bit of rain with that much pressure after the delay of game, thinking about fifty six is hard enough. Like you said, to kick a sixty one, and and I mean, I'll tell you, this year NFL and college, I've never seen so many like 58, 60 plus yard kicks made. These kickers now are, it's a whole different animal. I mean, and if they're going to start doing it in college, he, uh, that ball would have been, I bet it would have been good from 66 the way he kicked it. He absolutely drilled that ball. Absolutely. So Luther Burton third, you heard it here first, wide receiver one in next year's draft. Mevis might be kicker one in this year's draft, man, because he was great last year too, and he was great this year. Uh, Dalton, do you have any uh, takeaways from uh, Kansas State's performance in this one though? Um. Not a ton. Um, they they didn't play a horrible game. They had one turnover yeah. early on. They ran the one thing they didn't run with the success they did last year. I think the big thing is they're they're having trouble replacing what Deuce Vaughn gave them in the running game, like in an explosive sense. I think Ward was their leading rusher with forty. He had forty two yards as their leading rusher. Um, they're they're doing it by committee, and the totals aren't bad. And Howard can move, and all that. So Will Howard played a really good game. I, I'm pretty sure his passing grade was in the mid yeah. to high 80s. He, there was nothing wrong with Will Howard in this game. Um, they, they just sometimes you just come out on the road in these games like this on the short end of it, just one play short. But I think they're struggling 
to find big plays in the running game. Yeah. You know, again, Treshawn Ward beating their leading rusher with 42 yards, despite a group effort that's solid at about 135 yards. It, there's something just there is a level of explosiveness missing. Obviously, you lose a guy like Vaughn. They, they're just they need a little more. You know, it's good to get four or five yards every every time you run it. But sometimes you need a little element of like, oh, the, he could pop off a 20 or a 30 or a 40. That, that's the only thing I see missing, but they didn't play a horrible game. No, they didn't. I mean, it was it was a really clean game played on both sides, a really good game. And and, and it, to, for it to come down to a moment like that, I mean, I think you just you tip your hat to Missouri, K-State. I mean, it's not a conference game. They yeah. still have every chance to win the Big 12 with with a loss like they did last year um, and make a New Year's Six game. I don't think any of us expected them to make the playoff anyway. Mm-hmm. Um but I think they still have every chance to win the Big 12, and they just um, they came out really one play short um, on Saturday. Yeah, and normally a, a really good Kansas State offensive line was not great against Missouri, man. 35% pressure rate the Tigers got on Will Howard in that game. Uh, and also, you mentioned they're missing Deuce Vaughn, obviously, with the run game not that great. They're missing Felix Enedike uh, Uzama as well, man, because that defensive yeah. line, we, we lauded it before. Uh, they only had a 15% pressure rate against Missouri. And I do think Missouri's offensive line is one of the better ones in the country, especially Javon Foster, the left tackle there, who's been phenomenal so far this season. But yeah, yeah. man, they, they really couldn't get pressure uh, on Brady Cook in that game. And seven penalties also on Kansas State for 65 yards. So, yeah, man, I think they're missing their their two stars from a year ago in Deuce Vaughn and Felix Anadike Uzama. Uh, I always kind of thought Oklahoma was the second-best team in the conference. Uh, I think this kind of proved this week that they are. And I am a little I was always a little bit lower in Kansas State because after they lost all those players that we mentioned. Um, but, yeah, man, it's still not over for Kansas State either. I think this is K-State K- K- State is still dangerous. Yeah. They still they play fundamentally sound football. And and anytime you have a team like that, now you're right. You know, Anadike Yazama was the explosive pass rusher. Cook, I only have pressured here. Well, just you said 15 that that their pass rush got to him. You know, that's that's terrible. You can't have that. And, and Vaughn with the lack of you know, you lose your two best players. You have issues replacing them. A lot of teams have that though. Every, everybody's got to deal with that. But they play fundamentally sound football. This was not like some awful game they played here and there. They need to tweak some things. They need to yep. find a pass rush. They need a little more out of their running game because, you know, Will Howard was great in the drop back game this week, and that's not always the case. You know, he's more dangerous as a play-action passer like we talked about last week. But they, I think when they play Oklahoma and, and Texas and the big boys in the Big 12, it's still it's still going to be a dogfight. Yep. Um, they, they just have to find a little more, just a little more – in those two areas and they're still really dangerous and again i don't think especially in college you can take away from teams that play really sound football mm-hmm. right um consistently kansas state has a long reputation of that some teams some teams have that more than others k-state is they're they're well coached um yeah the, this the loss hurts it hurts big time if they had any thoughts about going undefeated or any of that they likely wouldn't have anyway but you know it, it hurts but it's still out of conference and i i think when they do get to play Oklahoma, you know, Oklahoma hasn't really played anybody yet. So they look great, but they haven't played anybody. Was mm-hmm. it Tulsa this Saturday? They, it's it's going to be still, K-State's still going to be very interesting in this conference race. I think this whole conference is interesting. I mean, we're not going to talk about it in our panic meter segment, which we'll get to in one second, but Texas, man, they were struggling with Wyoming uh, for much of that game until they pulled away at the very end, man. But, yeah, so I think this conference, like we mentioned this before, top to bottom, this conference I think is the closest of all the Power 5 conferences right now. Um, right now, So I, I'm really interested in that. But speaking of that panic meter, this is what uh, we're really looking forward to doing right now. So basically the, the – 
the point of this segment. So we're going to rate these panic meters 1 to 10. 1 meaning you're not worried at all. Like, don't take it with a grain of salt. 10 meaning you're sounding every single alarm that there is. And there's four games, Dalton, that we're talking about in this one of, you know, really highly ranked teams that did not look good against very inferior opponents as well. So the first one that we're going to talk about, Dalton, is number one Georgia. The defending back-to-back national champs were 27-point favorites over South Carolina and they beat them 24 to 14 only by 10 points when they were 27 point favorites what would you give the panic meter on Georgia right now for me the the number is four um and so it's concerning the way their offense looks and it's a little concerning the just the lack of pass rush they're getting at times for stretches right so the the numbers for the number for me is four uh three games this year they have four pass touchdowns all right they have four big time throws and they only have four sacks on defense okay so when i look at them passing and stopping the pass look south carolina's undermanned you know Mm -hmm. guys like jaheem bell some of the weapons left rattlers really out there trying to carry a lot and and they were ahead early yeah say that one more time juice wells the wide receiver was out for most of that game too yeah, so Georgia, they can do the things we know they can do, right? Like they, they can run and they stop the run and that keeps them in games. Their defense is going to keep them in games, but they have to find a way to to get more explosive offensively. I mean, Carson Beck was by far their highest graded player in this game. And a big reason for that was they did not allow a pressure in the second half. Mm-hmm. You know, that's you're not often good, but you're not often going to go entire halves without a single pressure. Right. I mean, look, they're only speaking of the number four. They're only fourth, actually, right now in overall grading in the SEC. They're only fourth in offensive grading in the SEC. Brock Bowers only has 13 catches in three games. That can't happen. He can't average four catches a game. He's he's got he they have to find a way to get him open because that's he they won't be. You know, I'm still very – the reason it's only a four, I'm still very confident that they're easily the best team in the SEC East, mm-hmm. probably in the entire SEC, tighter than last year, for sure. They are not as dominant as they were last year. They're outside of the top 20 in overall grading in the country right now. Um, they, they don't look the same. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean they can't get there. Look, Beck played his best game so far in this game. He was clean. He's a, he's much more. He's got less mobility than Stetson Bennett. He's much more of a classic drop back quarterback. Um, they have to find explosive plays in the pass game, and they need to find a consistent pass rush. Because for a Georgia defense that we always think so so highly of, should be usually the best in the country. They have four sacks in three games, and you're not. Get, let's say they play LSU again. If you come at Jaden Daniels with no pass rush and he just has any lane he wants, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to have problems this time around. Mm-hmm. So Georgia, I, I'm not wicked because of their schedule. Look, they get another tune-up now this week against UAB. Yep. Then they get Auburn, who doesn't look great. The SEC East is is not – I mean, Florida now is probably the second-best team, and Georgia does all the things well that Florida really doesn't want them to. Um, but there, there's an element here where you're, you're in the – look, in the – Playoff this year, whether it's USC or Florida State or Ohio State, or you're going to get some explosive teams yep. in the playoffs this year. And Georgia, right now, among like probably the top ten, they may be the least explosive team offensively in the entire top ten. You look at guys in the top ten, even like Penix, 
You've got Marvin Harrison in Ohio State. There's a ton of teams that can score points in a heartbeat. And I don't know that Georgia can do that right now. And it's weird, man, because we came into this year saying that receiving core is loaded. I mean, this is the best receiving core that Georgia's had probably in a while, and it's just they're not doing it consistently, man. They're, they're really not. And you mentioned Brock Bowers. Like, he's the, in my opinion, going into the season, I had him as the second best player in the country. And you could make the argument he is the best player in the country because I thought the gap between him and the next tight end was bigger than the gap of any other position in college football. They're not giving their best player the ball enough, man. And they, they got to do it more. And I have Georgia at a three right now. I have it at a three. Uh, remember last year, you know, they only beat Missouri by four points and last year and everyone was like, oh, they, you know, they're not going to do it. They won 15-0. They won the national championship. I don't know if it'll happen this year. I, I picked Michigan to win it all before the season, uh, but this was a uh, little eye-opening. It was a little eye-opening. I'm not sounding the panic alarms at all, but it was a little eye-opening. Uh, Georgia was down 14-3 to at halftime. Then they scored 21 unanswered in the second half to win the game. And you mentioned it. My biggest takeaway from the season so far, Dalton, has been that pass rush is nowhere near what we've seen from Georgia in the last couple of years. I mean, they lose guys like Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith, Trayvon Walker, Devontae Wyatt, and Jordan Davis. All, all of those guys were first-round picks off the defensive line in the last two years. Um, they got some dudes, don't get me wrong. Michael Williams will probably be one of the top you know, 15 or so, 10 picks next year's draft. But right now, as a team, they have a 64.1 pass rushing grade, which is the 10th worst in the Power 5 so far. And yes, they played South Carolina, but they didn't have a great schedule before that either man and they still weren't really impressive like I said only four sacks so far so yeah, yeah that pass you, you rush is, is concerning you mentioned their receivers too you mentioned their receivers too on the other side they're only two for 13 in contested catch opportunities um they, they're just they're not they're not winning the battle right now they're they're making the plays that that Beck is allowing them to make mm-hmm. and and I think they have a lot of similar problems as as another team we're about to talk about in that they've just lost so much They've lost so much, and they are they're Georgia's don't get it wrong, they're number one. They're the two-time defending champs, but they're a young team. Yep. They're a wicked young team. There are not a ton of guys, um, especially at the skill positions, with a ton of big game experience. Uh, this is this is gonna be interesting to watch. Their schedule gives them time to work with to continue to get better. But they it's gonna be worth watching how they like, especially two weeks when they play Auburn. Just how, if it looks like this, or if they can really rebound and just, they're, they're a team that has time to get better. And for their sake, they, they do need to. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't even want to put the blame on Carson Beck either, man, because I think he's played well so far this season. But yeah, I just think the, the receiving core hasn't been nearly as good as I thought it would be. And that pass rush, to me, is the most concerning part of this Georgia team. So we're both still below five. You know, this is not a sound the alarms on Georgia just yet. But I will say this game was a little eye-opening, especially being 27-point favorites and only winning by 10. Next game that we're talking about, Dalton, is uh, the number three Florida State Seminoles beating Boston College 31 to 29, beating them by two. Florida State entered the game as 25 and a half point favorites in this game and won by two. What is the panic meter that you're setting on the Seminoles right now? I'm sitting at the number is five right now for me. Uh, I, you know, I was saying, I was saying more recently before this that I thought Florida State might have been one of the four best teams in the country, and it, it's a game like this that makes me start to question it now. On the plus side, you have guys on offense that I trust, right? Mm-hmm. Jordan Travis, Coleman, Wilson, Benson, Toafili, Bell. They're loaded offensively. So they can, even in a game like this, they can put up 31 points um, and still come away with a win, right? 
The five to me coincides with they're the fifth lowest graded defense in the ACC right now. Um, which there you throw the film on, especially in this game, their defense it's concerning. It's it's getting quickly concerning because their their run defense, especially this is not. They're going into Clemson, and this is not the team you want to go and struggle in run defense with. Uh, they're they're right now their team run degrade of sixty five point eight is a hundred and fifth in the country. Wow! And they're and you you know I, I see two things when I watch this BC game. One in the run and pass game, their their linebackers struggle to make plays in space. They mm-hmm. struggle to move laterally. Um, so Boston College was going east and west in the run game, and then bringing the boot back off it. And they're kind of old school, like they're thumpers. They can get downhill against power teams. It'll be interesting to match up this week as Clemson really likes to run downhill too and, and challenge those guys in the middle. Their linebackers are kind of old school though. They don't they don't move great laterally. They don't move great in coverage. But so I you know, I went to see do they struggle when teams run outside? And their linebackers didn't come away as poorly as I thought they would. It's not great. It was somewhere around a 71 run D grade when teams start getting off tackle on them. The surprising thing I found was, you know, we think of Florida State's defense, and the first two guys really think of those two guys on the edge, right? You've got you've got Verse and and you've got um, is it Turner, right? I think it is, yeah, Turner. Their edge players as a group have a run defense grade right now of a fifty, even, which is the fourth worst in the country. They're they are not. They're not keeping contain. They're missing tackles. They are having problems on the edges of their run defense. And and I think teams are going to expose this more and more. And Boston College, you saw it. They would get outside. They'd run the bootleg off it. And the combination right now of their edge players struggling to keep contain and their linebackers being unable to really run laterally is, is causing their defense a ton of problems. They are the fifth worst in EPA per rush, which, which is, honestly, it's actually the worst in the Power Five. It's fifth worst in the country. It's worst in the Power Five in EPA per rush allowed. Their, their run defense, especially going into a week like this, is wicked concerning because Clemson, you know, Klubnik's not as mobile as Castellanos is for BC, mm-hmm. but Clemson, is, you know, kind of like Florida, they want to get off running the ball. They want to run the ball. They want to play defense. And Florida State's run defense is really vulnerable right now. They they have a lot of issues in their front seven defending the run. Dude, the the one stat that I thought was most telling and the most concerning stat, I think, from this game, one of these teams, Dalton, in this game committed a school record 18 penalties for 131 yards, and it wasn't Florida State. It was Boston College. Boston College was incredibly sloppy in this game. And usually when a team that is underdogs by 25 and a half points have the sloppiest game in school history, they get blown out of the water. Yeah, Boston College was in this game even with a school record 18 penalties, man. It, I could not believe it. So um, this one was an eye-opener. BC and, and PFF's power rankings that you can find at pff.com. Boston College is the worst Power 5 team in PFF's power rankings, they lost to Northern Illinois in the season opener, which is the third worst team in the country in that same power ranking. Then Boston College beat Holy Cross by three points 
in week two, which is an FCS school. So this is not a good Boston College team. Like, this isn't a team that you say, oh, you know, maybe we were wrong about Boston College to keep an eye on them. What they've proven in two weeks is nowhere close to what they did this past weekend. And like you mentioned, my biggest question mark for them right now, that defensive front, man, I thought they had dudes on that defensive line. Uh, It's been a little sloppy so far. They only had a 15% pressure rate against Boston College. They allowed four and a half yards per carry. I'm glad you brought up the linebackers, too, because in the preseason, I I put out my top 10 uh, position unit rankings where I ranked the top 10 position units all across college football the only position unit that florida state was not in the top 10 for was linebacker so i that was a weakness i thought on that defense and they got exposed in this game now i i, I should say i had florida state at five as well I, I agree with you five is my uh my panic meter i will say i'm holding out hope on a fully panicking on this team because I think there's a chance that they were looking ahead to Clemson in this one. I think there's a chance of that happening, which is why I'm not fully going nuts on them. And they also let BC, it was, it was a lot, you know, Florida State was up by a lot more late in the game. And then Boston College had a really big comeback right at the end. So I'm not fully panicking, but this was more of an eye opener to me than the, uh, the Georgia South Carolina game was because South Carolina, I think, is a decent team. Boston College, I do not think, is a very good team at all. So I was. Uh, this was a pretty concerning one for uh, for me in this one. But uh, the next game that we're talking about, Dalton, is this one. I think we're gonna have some fun talking about is number ten Alabama, thirty four point favorites. Number ten Alabama, they beat USF seventeen to three. So winning by fourteen, even though they were. 34-point favorites. Dalton, what are you setting this panic meter on for the Crimson Tide? All the way up. All the way up. The number, the number is 10. There's 10, and it's and it's a good theme. Look, you, here's let's just put this into context real quick. Alabama, who ranked number 10 in the country, mm-hmm. okay, went into USF. And if you watch that game, it wasn't that wasn't a road game. That place was 85. Other than USF student section, the rest of the place was Alabama fans. Okay, wasn't a road game. USF last year I, I, is in strongly in the argument they may have been the worst team in the country last year. Yep, and they certainly had the worst defense in the country last year. Uh, they, I think Colorado graded lower than them, but when you account for level of competition and USF schedule and all that, I would argue USF was the worst defense and maybe the worst team in the country last year. So mm-hmm. number 10, Alabama goes to play what last year was the worst team in the country. And in a game with a new head coach in his third game that just beat FAMU by only like 13 or 14. Okay. Next you go into this game. There are two quarterbacks that played Buckner and Simpson only completed 10 passes all day. And I know in the first quarter it was raining. Cool. You know, the weather is in Florida. It's raining one minute and sunny, you know, sunny as anything the next. And that's how it was the whole second half. It, the conditions for especially the second half were not that bad. Only completed 10 passes. And you mentioned the score being 17 to three. One of those touchdowns was scored with 30 seconds left when they easily could have just kneeled the ball down. They really only scored 10 points on USF. And USF's defense is grading higher through three weeks than than it did Last year, because they were the second worst defense in the entire FBS last year, it's inexcusable. Yeah. And and you know we were going back and forth about it during the game about how why they even benched Milrow when this is what they have otherwise. And and now Saban, I don't know if you saw Saban about an hour ago just announced that Milrow's back in as the starter. That has to happen. Now they have issues all over the all over the board. They are a hundredth. One ranked 100th in the country in pass blocking grade, a 55.8. Yep. 
They are, they are barely in the top 100 in pass protection. Simpson took, you know, he had the, the one big throw that really, you know, turned it turned it in Alabama's favor finally in the second half. But he took five sacks in the second half, um, <laughs> holding the ball too long. And this, this is USF. I mean, I can't emphasize enough that right now USF, if they had a competent quarterback, because Byron Brown is currently, I believe, is the lowest graded passer in the country. Mm-hmm. I think his passing grade's under a 30. Like, if USF had a competent quarterback, just competent, they would have won this game. This game was 3-3 three to three for a long time until, what is it, it was 40, what took more than 40 minutes for Alabama to score a touchdown off that the one big throw from Simpson. That's the only good throw either quarterback made all day, but... If you're Alabama right now, I, I mean it. I, I, honestly, considering the situation in the in the opposition, that it's really disgraceful how they played. It really is. Now they ran the ball well mm-hmm. as they should against USF, uh, you know. But they're they're just I mean a fifty almost a fifty seven percent pressure rate against USF up front. Uh, I'm getting to the point. Where it really doesn't matter for as much as I think Milrow is clearly the best one. If nothing else, you know, I learned this coaching. If you don't think you really have a quarterback that can really let it rip, just play the best athlete. Yeah. And Jalen Milrow walks in onto most football fields as the best athlete on the field. Mm-hmm. You know, he 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 didn't they didn't get blown out against Texas either. They weren't no. the better team. Yeah. They lost by ten. Milrow made four big time throws in that game. I mean, now he's risky with the football. He's we mentioned it last week. He's got a little Anthony Richardson in him. But he's also got the Richardson part of big plays and running the ball and improvising. Look, they're going to have to improvise their way to wins. Mm-hmm. Buckner, I, that's all we learned in this game was Buckner and Simpson give them no shot. Milrow at least gives them a shot, but I'm full tilt panicked about this. I, I, it's a game we're going to preview, but this all miss game is going to be a struggle. I, and and, and if, if they just can't score, if they're outside the top 80, if they continue to be outside the top 80 in passing grade and, and – right around barely in the top hundred of pass protection. This is, this is going nowhere. I, I, I am full tilt panicked. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm at a full 10 for this one, dude. I'm at a nine for this one. Uh, because I do think the defense is still really good and that might keep them in enough games, but we might have two former Nick Saban assistants beat Nick Saban in a span of three weeks, man. And that is an exclu- exclusive club to begin with. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian obviously joined that club a week ago, and Lane Kiffin might do it this week, man. Uh, and then Ole Miss. We'll talk about the preview coming out later on this week, but we are getting into crisis mode. It is now crisis mode for Alabama's offense. The Bulls entered this game, the USF Bulls, the 11th worst team in the country in PFS power rankings. And my biggest takeaway, and it's something I've said before, last year's Alabama offense was basically Bryce Young, the number one overall pick in the draft, the greatest quarterback probably in Alabama history. He put out fires all over the place for for last year's offense. This year, those flames, those minute flames that really weren't as big as a lot of people made them out to be, the offensive line was really good last year. The receiving core was not great, but it was fine. Uh, Those flames turned into a full-fledged forest fire in Tuscaloosa this season. And the problem is there are no firefighters in sight right now because you do not have a quarterback that can elevate the offense. You have three quarterbacks that need to be elevated by the offense and you don't have an offense that can elevate a quarterback. Tommy Reese, new offensive coordinator. I have really been disappointed by him so far. They can't get any sort of rhythm on offense. And that offensive line, dude, that's something I want to talk about too. The fourth highest pressure rate in the power five so far 
surrendered at nearly 30%. And their biggest thing, everyone keeps talking about how massive these guys are. In fact, their offensive line, Dalton, is bigger than any offensive line in the NFL. And everyone's lauding that and saying, oh, this is awesome. It's not that good of a thing, man, because they can't move. They can't get to the second level. And you get to the third and fourth quarter, these guys are gassed, dude. So these offensive linemen, I think, are way too big. I don't know what they were doing uh, feeding these guys that much and making them hit the weight room that much because these guys are like 370 pounds, man. They can't move. You're bringing, up the, you're bringing up the right point with that. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to throw you a couple of things yeah. is, uh, against, against blitzes. Now, here's the first problem they're going to have going into the SEC. Okay, first of all, the worst, most discouraging part of this game for me, more than the quarterbacks, even more. Okay, we learned who their second and third string quarterbacks are. Uh, you know, we, we learned who this starting quarterback should be. So the rest of the year is actually the one thing we're sure of. I go, just put Milrow in there and what happens, happens. They, against, again, I'm going to emphasize this, against <laughs> USF, they were clearly the less physical of the two teams. Yeah. USF mashed them physically, especially up front when Bama had the ball. But you mentioned how big they are. They've had problems with this for a couple of years, but now, now it's come to a real head. Against blitzes, their pass protection is 101st in the country, and their quarterbacks' grades and uh, passing grades are 119th. And against stunts, the pass blocking is 122nd. They're in the bottom 12 <laughs> against stunts. When you say they're too big and they can't move, that's real. They yeah. cannot adjust. There's between mental mistakes and and just not being able to adjust blitzes, stunts, pickups, all that stuff. You got teams like USF doing it to them. Mm -hmm. If I'm an SEC defense, especially if I'm already a blitz heavy team, I, I'm not sure if Ole Miss is. That's going to be something to preview. That'll be some fun to look at. But the book is out. Yeah. Blitz them, stunt them. Fool them up front, you know. Even if you're good, even if you if you beat them by a half a step, they just can't get there. Mm -hmm. They are having such problems when teams play games up front. On top of the fact that then you know there were moments in this game where I mean they just got bullied. If you just if yeah. you took the rankings out, you took everything out, size whatever. You you look at this game and you just go, USF was far and away the more physical team. And Nick Saban, I remember the interview coming out of the half. I don't think I've ever seen Nick Saban look so defeated. Yeah. He, he looked defeated, you know, and I think that's usually a spot where he'd go in there and, and go into the locker room raging hot and angry, and they come out, and it's like, you know, now it's like, oh, they're back. The Alabama's back. Here comes Mike Tyson to knock you out, right? Mm -hmm. And they, he, he looked defeated, and they came out in the second half the same way. Just no physicality, nothing whatsoever. I, I, I'm – you can't – as poorly as they played on the offensive line, you can't play in the SEC. Like, that's USF. I, I mean, they were the worst team in the country last year. Yeah. It's off. Dude, that offensive line, I was going to bring that up too. You would think that offensive line, when every single player on that offensive line is 360-plus pounds, basically, you'd think they'd be dominant in a phone booth. Like, yes, maybe they can't get out in space too well. Yes, maybe they, they struggle in pass protection. But at least one-on-one, -on -one they'll dominate. They didn't dominate in this game either. So I really am perplexed on this offensive line that is extremely talented, by the way. They got five stars across the board on this offensive line. An offensive line that I actually thought was pretty good entering the season. Now, man, I am really, really struggling to see how this offensive line is going to hold up against guys like Harold Perkins. LSU, if LSU does not rush Harold Perkins every single snap that he's on the field, yeah. that is malpractice, man, because he is going to take advantage of these massive Alabama offensive linemen. 
I would be so worried playing a team like LSU, especially with, I mean, they're athletic, right? USF, they're small, but they showed their front to be reasonably athletic. And when you're that big, eventually there comes a point where your feet just don't move like that. And Perkins, you know, we've seen it before. He can line up in any gap over any lineman. And if LSU starts getting, I I guarantee you, they're going to put new stunts in just for when they play Alabama. They're going to get Perkins going in the stunt game. They're going to, I mean, it's going to, I mean, there's a chance it looks like Parsons looked against the Jets yesterday, <laughs> honestly, because yeah. between between they can't block him anyway. And then just the, some of the stunts that were going, a team like LSU, or if Bama were to manage to get to the SEC title game somehow and play Georgia, I mean, this, the stunts and blitzes. It, look, the blitz thing was a problem last year. And it just, like you said, Bryce Young put out the fire. He got rid of the ball or he improvised. They'll have that this time. The only thing you're going to see is Milrow just taking off running and do, doing the Anthony Richardson thing. But They've been struggling to protect blitzes for a year or two already. Yep. And now it's just come to a head where it's so bad that they're they're making teams that obviously aren't as good as them. It's keeping them in games. They're, I, I don't know what the, the combination of their quarterback play, mm-hmm. their lack of a number one receiver, mm-hmm. and their pass protection. If you didn't have the Alabama jerseys on them, and just the reputation and Saban and all that, if this was just some other team, we, if we were talking about an Illinois or just some average team, whatever, you'd be like, wow, their passing game's a train wreck. Because mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. It just is. They they just went in there. I don't even care that it's with Buckner and Simpson. They just went in in the USF and completed 10 passes. I, I It's just – and the grading supports it. This hasn't yeah. – it's not like – you know, in the Texas game, it wasn't great when Texas blitzed them, or we talked about when Texas brought a when they brought a five man front. You just have no answer. There's no answer right now up front. Dude, Buckner completed 36 percent of his passes in this game against USF. That is against U- against USF, and they had the ball the whole day. USF couldn't USF couldn't move the ball. No, so it's it's Alabama. They played every, USF. Every man. drive was the same. They're lucky they played USF, and I, again, USF is a bad team, guys. This is a—it's not like a really good American Athletic Conference team because there are those. This is a bad USF team, so this is a this is why we're sounding the alarms. And you mentioned that receiving core right now has the 63rd best receiving grade in the country. There is still not a dude in that receiving core, uh, and you combine that with the offensive line being a, so far atrocious to start the year, and you have no idea what, what to do at quarterback. Now Jalen Moreau is starting, which I think you and I both agree is the correct move uh because like you said you just go out with the best athlete but man this is milrose a roller coaster you never know what you're gonna get with him buckner in three years now has not proven that he's a starting caliber quarterback or passer and simpson i thought simpson looked pretty good and he was a five-star recruit a couple years ago so i'm intrigued by him but he's a virtual unknown dude he has 21 dropbacks I, I, to his name i find it odd i find it odd how Saban is handling all this uh to basically use usf in it, as as a throwaway game for his pseudo QB competition, and those two guys were just awful. I, I, I the Buckner thing, I think he's just appeasing Tommy Reese for some reason because he yeah. came with him. I, I just and now he goes back to Milrow, and I don't know if you heard the comments that he that he said today. If you watched that, he's he says basically, oh, J- Milrow showed leadership on the sideline with the other two guys playing, and through three games, he's played the best. So I, I go. You started him the first. You started him the first two. <laughs> it wasn't great, but you didn't get blown out against no. Texas. Texas just Texas just better than them. Mm-hmm. You bench him for. Uh, I guess you just want to have an in-game competition, 
I would have gone to him. I would have gone to him at halftime. Yeah, I wouldn't even oh, gone. Definitely. I wouldn't even gone to Simpson. Why make that? Why in a three-three game that you're getting? Honestly, even though it's tied, you're getting embarrassed in up front. Would you then put in Simpson, who made one good throw in an entire half and took five sacks? Why? I would have gone to Milrow at halftime mm-hmm. and just said, "Hey, man, we just 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 get out there and take this game over." They really won this game ten to three. I don't care what the final says. They scored that touchdown with with thirty seconds left. Yeah, I, I it's I, I would have gone to Milrow at halftime. Instead of that, just to save the embarrassment, that it, it was embarrassing. And how he's handling this now, now, now they have to play Ole Miss, and Milrow lost reps, took a week off, and his confidence might be you have no, too. and you have no idea where your offense is. Yeah, his confidence might be shaken too, man. After getting benched like that, and like you mentioned, their running game was the only positive thing to take away from this offense performance. When you have Milrow in there, I mean, you could run read option until you drop basically, and USF would uh, yep. have nothing to do, couldn't do anything. With I it, think so. I think you actually. I think they need to go about it the way that Tennessee is trying to go about it, right? Because mm-hmm. Alabama's they, you know, I love Jaden Wright for Tennessee, but they struggled to run the ball the other night. Now there's going to be times where he gets off. We've seen it, right? But I think I think that's pretty much how they're going to have to go about it. Read option, mm-hmm. right? Put in some looks. Get him on the move. Get him booting. Get some RPO game going. And the same thing as Joe Milton with the arm strength. Look, just just try to make big plays because yeah. they are not gonna they're not gonna consistently pass protect. There will be games where they consistently run the ball well. Yeah. The USF game, I mean, they did, but it's also USF. You have the biggest line in the country playing USF. You should run the ball for I think it was two hundred thirty something yards. Yeah. Uh, you know, McClellan's good. McClellan's really good. He is. They have to. They have to slow games down and run the ball because they 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 can't just drop back and throw it. They just can't. I don't care who their quarterback is. Their, this offensive line, they need to roll. They Tommy Reese, he's he's got to spend. I mean, the problem is, I want to say he he needs to spend time putting a whole bunch of new stuff in. He doesn't have time. He wasted his no. time. You have Ole Miss this week, like Georgia, and the stuff we talked about on their offense. They're playing UAB this week. Mm-hmm. Okay, then they're playing Auburn. Then I think they're playing Vandy. Now you don't want to mess around with Auburn. That's a big rivalry. But they have time. Right before they get to the end of the year, and I think they play Tennessee, Ole Miss, SEC title game, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Alabama does not have time. No. All of a sudden, you benched Milrow for a week, and he's back in, and now he has to play Ole Miss, and he has to find a way to outscore Ole Miss. Yeah. Uh, it, it the the entire process right now, I think, has been botched. Yep. And and if they if they win Saturday. It'll be because their run game and defense were just spectacular. They for, they forced Dart into turnovers. Because I mean, look, Ole Miss is dangerous, man. Yeah. That's a they might. I mean, this might finally be the year. Finally, because you know how it is with Ole Miss, where they might finally be the best team in the SEC West. They might finally do it. I, have they ever? Is there a thing? Have they never won the SEC West? I, is that right? I can't remember if they have before. I mean, it's been it's, it's got to be a long time ago if it has happened. I I could have swore there was a thing I heard where they've never won the SEC West, mm-hmm. right? And, and they've had they've had big wins in the past decade, even against Alabama. But Ole Miss is feeling like this is their shot, and they're going to get a quarterback now on four days of prep off of that game. They're going to be watching that USF tape, licking the chops, man. I'm telling you.
Absolutely. So they won the last time they won the SEC West. They were co-champions in 2003, but they've lost a tiebreaker to LSU. So they really didn't even win that year uh, either. That's the only division championship that they won since 1992 when the SEC split into two divisions, man. So, yeah, man, this is dangerous now. And I want to emphasize more. So to me, it seems like Alabama is going to try to get back to the Alabama of yesteryear where you got, you know, Derrick Henry and the offensive line just bullying people in the run game. The quarterback situation, not great. Passing game, not great. But, man, they're going to run it down your throat the problem this year though you don't have the offensive line to do it man you don't have the the nfl offensive line all five guys to to be bullying guys right now and the run game is good but it's not like you have a heisman trophy winner in mark ingram or derrick henry to rely on just to carry you through games right now so i'm scared man i think the offensive coordinator tommy reese i'm disappointed in the quarterback situation is a mess right now offensive line is not good receiving core not good um listen man i think nick saban is gonna miss the playoff for the second straight year and that hasn't happened dalton since 0708 which were his first two years on the job that was the last time nick saban went consecutive years without making either the college football playoff or bcs national championship game were his first two years as alabama's head coach and i think that'll happen this year man so we just spent a long time in alabama but i it really was because uh this has been a Horrible start to the season for Alabama. But the last one, Dalton, that we have to talk about today is uh, our number 18 Colorado Buffaloes beating Colorado State 43-35 to in double overtime, even though Colorado was 23-point favorites in this game. What are you setting the panic meter at right now? Um... Well, this this is this is uh, is Colorado not the most fun team in college football, right? It's, it, by far, it's the most fun team to watch. Um, look, a lot went wrong in this game. I'm gonna be honest. Ninety percent of this game, Colorado State played better. Mm-hmm. Colorado State coached better. Colorado State was more physical. Colorado State made bigger plays on third and fourth down. Uh, Travis Hunter took the cheap shot and yeah. got knocked out, which is just awful. I mean, I'd so I you so want to see him play these next two games, and if he can't, no, he, I, I, he's out as, for as, they announced it already. As as cheap shot as cheap shot gets, uh, it's just that was pathetic, you know. But that's how that game was. The, the yeah. entire game was like that. Colorado State, I think another team. It was 18 penalties, same same as Boston. College, a ton of them. Camara at the very end with the roughing the passer that got him ejected. Yeah. Colorado State lost this game in part for for you know just playing undisciplined football but they wanted to make it that way they wanted colorado out of their comfort zone and they got him out of it hunter got hurt but i'm gonna tell you something considering the expectation and all the unknown and everything the rivalry everything that happened during the week the meter for me is still it's still only at a two and i'm oh. and i'm gonna tell you it's it's all about number two shador yeah. <laughs> it, he's he's I'm, I'm gonna throw some at you Second, second overall highest graded quarterback in the country. Second, second in passing grade in the entire country behind, I believe, Tyler Van Dyke. Second most yards in the country. Second most first downs. He, he behind the scenes last week, we we talked a lot about Shadur and 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 we couldn't bring it up on the preview show because we didn't think we'd have to be previewing this game, right? <laughs> Yeah, I'm 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 going to I'm going to tell you something, you know, and and wrote about it after the TCU game, the way he sees the field. He sees the field unbelievably well coverages. I got some more numbers for you in a second here. He sees coverages. He's so cool under pressure. He makes quick decisions. He's got probably a B plus ish arm. 
you know, certainly good enough. I wouldn't put it in the Caleb Williams or Joe Milton category for sure, but he's got a solid arm. He's got solid mobility. He takes off when he needs to. The poise, you know, it should go without saying with who his dad is, how high his football IQ is. Yep. And anybody taking that for granted right now, I'm going to be honest with you. I think as far as just intelligence and poise and football IQ and reading the field, I don't think anybody in the country does it better. Not even not even Caleb Williams. Uh, Williams is like Mahomes. He's a freak. He's got the arm. He can just do freak things. And Lincoln Riley's offense is just the perfect pairing. Yeah. Shadur plays like an NFL quarterback. And and we had a conversation. You had asked me at one point last week um, off air, is he QB three? You know, because it's 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 assumed really that Williams and May mm-hmm. um, are the first two, and in next year's draft if he comes out. And then you've got a group of guys. There's Penix. There's Knicks. Riley Leonard for some. Mm-hmm. Shadur is absolutely in that conversation yeah uh, he, he just is i i had him in that i had him in that conversation two games in after the nebraska game that he he just he, it's he sees the field so well there are not college there is not another college quarterback right now that sees the field as well as he does the coverages and everything and this game look they were down 11 with eight minutes left was it i think so yeah okay Kick a field, go down, kick a field goal. Colorado State played an excellent game in the red zone for 90% of it. They were terrific in the red zone on defense. All right. Down eight, 98 yards to go with the somewhere around a minute 45 left. And he did that. That touchdown throw, I, I mean, that's it's ridiculous. That last yeah. t- that touchdown throw to tie the game to horn. I, I mean, I'm gonna be honest with you. I was in the top three boat. Last week, that 98-yard drive and then the overtime performance. I'm, I, I don't, I don't know if I'm the first one to say this, or I might just get crazy looks. He might actually be QB two. Wow. I think, I think if he, even if they lose, if he shows out like that in the next two weeks, we're gonna start talking about him versus May. Mm-hmm. He, there's just nothing he does wrong. I, I, I'll throw you a couple. He is. Only one of two quarterbacks in the country with a top 10 passing grade, clean or under pressure, the other one being Penix, okay? (laughs) He's the only quarterback in the country with a passing grade in the top 10, whether he's blitzed or not. And he's the only quarterback with passing grades in the top 10 against man or zone coverage. (laughs) I don't don't know. You know, I I think Nebraska in, in that game, Mm-hmm. came out with a nice plan. They said, we're going to mess with them. We're going to go zero blitz, or we're going to go eight-man drop, yeah. and nothing in between. We're just going to give them nothing normal. Okay, TCU, they 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 tried a thing where we're going to go man coverage the whole way, and we're going to make him make big throws, and he did. Nebraska said, we're going to be weird. This game, Colorado State really couldn't come up with like a hard – they played a lot of – they played a lot of zone, too. Mm-hmm. They really dropped – they dropped seven and rushed four, and for a lot of this game, Colorado State's D-line won the game. The poise – in this game, and the ability to just stand in there, the first two games I could break out break down schematically why Shadur is so good. That 98-yard drive and the overtime and just look for 90% of this game, probably more actually when you say six for 95% of this game, Colorado State was the better team. Yes. And he with Hunter out. And with guys not, I'll tell you what, Colorado State tackled for their life, man. They gave up nothing after yeah. the catch. I, I don't know. I, I need a number on how many tackles they missed 
I'll have to find that, but it wasn't many. That he, what he did took him from a category of, wow, this kid's really good. He's like a really good quarterback to like a, a special, like that, that drive, that, that drive alone. I got flashbacks at Burrow. I'm, I'm not even kidding. Yeah. That, that I, I think if we're about to see, we're about to see in these next two games and for the rest of, for the whole Pac-12 slate because Pac-12's, man, the Pac-12's rough. It is. It's rough, and they play everybody, right? Mm-hmm. We're about to. Uh, it's very possible that about three or four weeks from now, it's not a QB three conversation. It's it's QB two conversation. I love it. I love that, man. Yeah, you mentioned Shador. Now the second highest graded quarterback in the country behind Tyler Van Dyke right now, man. I mean, it's crazy, man. I I, I will say I have it as a six because I'm a little bit. Uh, I was a little more concerned about it than you. Um, I think we should temper our expectations for Colorado a little bit. There are a lot of people who said, you know, this team could make a, a playoff push and all that. I don't think so. I, I think this is a 7-8 win team. I said that after week one. I, I feel the same now. Where I, I said, you know what, they got his issues. But like you said, with number two, back there under center, they can win almost any game, man. They really can. Because yeah. I think Shador is that special. Colorado State, eighth worst, power, uh, eighth worst FBS team, excuse me, in our power rankings right now. So... I also think this game was close because both teams' emotions were running high all game in this one. Colorado State treated this like their Super Bowl, basically. So I think this game is close a lot because emotions were running high. You saw stupid mistakes on both sides as well. Um, So I really think it was more of that than, than anything else. But I will say, Colorado's defense, man, the Rams ran crossing routes the entire game, and Torrey Horton torched them. I'm the whole game. It seems like they, they yeah. couldn't figure out that hey, Colorado State is just going to run this one play every single time, and they couldn't defend it. Torrey Horton in the game had 16 catches for 133 yards and a touchdown. And like you mentioned, the Rams had 17 penalties for 182 yards in this game too. They played sloppy. Um, Shador really, man, that might have been his Heisman moment. I, I think right now I'd give him the Heisman Trophy right through three weeks so far. Uh, two minutes left, 98-yard touchdown drive, and a two-point conversion to tie the game. I don't think Colorado had any timeouts left either on that drive. Um, I could be wrong. They, they might have had, had one. I think they might have gone into it with one. Okay, but still. Uh, yeah, they, they, you mentioned it, and, and I think, uh, look, I think a thing is, look, Dion, Dion's a corner. And he trusts his corners. And I would need to look at the coverage breakdown. of You mentioned the crossing routes. First of all, at halftime, I'm looking at Colorado, and my first thought was I'm just like, they need to calm down. Yeah. Just, you just need to calm down. There's too much on your back right now. Okay? You're at home. People are buying five, $600 tickets just to get in the door. College you're getting in day. fights before. they. You just need to calm down. <laughs> Travis Hunter, that whole thing. You know, all that stuff, they're, they're, they were worried about too much, okay? And they got to playing bad football. Now, I do think I, I need to look at the breakdown. But Colorado, from just the eye test, plays a lot of man coverage. Those shallows are going to work. Yeah. That's, that's how it works. You play a ton of man coverage, it's going to work. I saw The one thing I noticed late in the game started getting a little more in, like, cover two. and some. It's The adjustments happened really, really, really late, like uh, almost in overtime, mm-hmm. honestly. Uh, you know, they, they went and, and it just, you know, Colorado State, another one like BC, they, they're going to argue they lost this game on penalties. The coach was arguing it at halftime, I think, and or after the first quarter, maybe. But Colorado, look, you're right, and tempering expectations. I, I, look, I think there's a world where they win 10 games. Yeah, I do. You have a quarter, you have a quarterback like that. And look, their defense isn't great. Yeah. I think on both sides, they struggle a bit in the trenches. They struggle to run the ball and they struggle to stop the run. 
but they have a quarterback and they have weapons and they have a secondary that forces turnovers. So they're dangerous. Mm-hmm. They are dangerous to anybody in front of them. Okay. We're going to get into the upcoming matchup Wednesday, so I'm not going to say too, too much because I know where this is going. But yeah, Colorado's a flawed team. They're not a playoff team. No, they're not. If, if they make the playoffs, it's probably the single greatest one year coaching job. We had TCU Ever. last year. Easily. That's not first year coach. First year coaches don't do this, especially at programs that are train yeah. wrecks. Like what Sonny Dykes did last year was unprecedented already. Mm-hmm. If Dion were to do something like that in Colorado, it'd be the greatest story in college football history. Easily. It would. It just, it just would. You, but you've got a team with an elite, an elite, no less than top five quarterback in the country mm-hmm. right now. He might be the second best one. He really might be. Weapons, Horn, Weaver. I like Dawson. They're working Dawson in some. I would like to see a little more balance yeah. in this offense. They're not They're not running well, um, and they're not stopping the run well. I think they're giving up the 12th most rushing yards per game in the country right now. There are flaws. But to be honest with you, why I'm not panicked at all, and the two was a fun theme because Shador, I'm not, because what did... We can't have like playoff expectations for them. No. This is the first year of this. And Dion's even admitted himself. He said this either during one of the pressers or to somebody. He goes, We're like six or seven guys short of that. Mm-hmm. But he's like, You you gotta you gotta give me some time here to get on that level. Right now we're just we're just out here competing with what we have. And there's nothing more you could ask in the first year of a new a whole new a whole new program like that. You know, so there's for me there's no panic at all. I think even if they lost these next two games. What is there to panic about? It's Colorado. They weren't supposed yeah. to be. They weren't <laughs> supposed to be doing this. And honestly, I'm 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 willing to bet we'll we'll get more in the previews because we're going to have them each of the next two weeks. You already know Colorado USC's. Put it this way: if Colorado if Colorado were to go in there and beat Oregon somehow, some way, that game against USC would probably be the highest rated college football game ever. Yeah, and and, and who wouldn't want to see it? Yeah, I mean, honestly. Even if they might be the most entertaining three and two team we'll ever see, I don't even care. There's no, there's no panic. What's the expectation? Yep. What, what, what was there somebody before the year picking them to win the conference? Like, you know, I, so I, I don't, I don't have a sense. Of, now, should you know? There's this too. Colorado State played up, man. Yeah, they did. They played up. They played a like uh, they played a really good football game. Like USF. All right, let's roll back. USF played a great football game on one side of the ball. Mm-hmm. All right. For the most part, Colorado played a great outside of penalties. They played a great for at least 95% of a great football game on both sides. They were up mm-hmm. 28-17 with eight minutes left. Got them where you want them. On the road in the most, what might be actually the most hostile environment in college football right now. Yeah. <laughs> Just because of the, the electricity. I mean, The Rock is standing on the sideline. You've got Michael Irvin standing out there. Oh, everybody everybody there. and their mother <laughs> standing on the sideline. I mean, it's Colorado State played up. Yeah. Okay. Big, big time, big time. I don't know if they'll play another game like that this year, even against even against Mountain West teams. And if they do, props to them. I mean, really. But they, this, this was this, this goes, this game goes into the category for me of like just weird college football fun. Yeah. And, and I don't, that. I don't think we could ask for for any more than that, really. So I, I'm not, I'm not panicked. I have nothing to panic. I don't expect them to win the conference anyway. I don't. I mean, I, I, you know, me, I, me with USC, with USC sitting there. I mean, I don't know. I, to me, Washington could probably could beat USC on a good day. Utah did it last year twice. There's teams that could beat USC, but I don't think they're gonna. Yeah, 
I would say I only put six because I do think that people need to temper their expectations for them. Because I, I think the, the expectations that they had game day there at, at a game that really, you look at last year, they're probably like, oh, man, that's, that's one of the worst games in college football last year. This year, it had game day. Like, so I, yeah. I think people need to temper their expectations. Um, I will say the uh, what I, Travis Hunter, one of the reasons why I had a six, too, Travis Hunter, Dion announced today, is out for three weeks with that, <sighs> with that injury, man. Which is, that, that takes him out it's of just, Oregon, yeah. and that takes him out of USC, too, man. Oh God, that's so awful. I'm like, I don't think they would. Uh, I don't think they would have beat USC with him. But it's just, even just for the entertainment factor, yeah. he's the best corner in the country. Yeah, he might be. I, he just, I, I wouldn't. Wouldn't you want to see the best corner in the country against Oregon and then against USC and Branch and and Singer and all those guys? They got out. I mean, uh, on top of the fact that yeah, he's a big part of their offense. He's the kid's a freak. You lose, you know, between him and Sanders, you got two freaks on that team. Who you know, you lose one of them. Oh man! Uh, that's what, that's why I had it at six two because I wanted. This to is I'm I'm gonna be doing so much thinking. I'm gonna be doing so much thinking the next two days about this Oregon game because of that alone. I, it's yeah. I, I I still am not a believer that Oregon should be fourteen point favorites. Oh, neither, if they still are. Neither why I will say as bad as that hit was and as dirty as it was, the one thing I did love about it was that the first guy. To go up to, I forgot. The, I think Henry Blackburn was the Colorado State player who made the hit. The first guy to go up to Henry Blackburn and get in his face was Shador Sanders. Love that dude. Oh, this guy, he's Shador was Shador was getting in their grill just about you know from what the head coach from what Norvell had said about Dion before the game. <laughs> he's a leader. I mean, he's he's a leader. He's he he's a leader. But I'll tell you what, and, and you see his post games, he is he's calm and cool as anything though yeah. under pressure. Oh my man, God. oh man. Does he be, does he belongs in that spotlight, man? I mean, you how many? Tell me this: how many guys other than him, because we just saw him do it, are capable of of that ninety eight yard drive? How many in a, in a minute forty five? Minute forty five and one timeout and ninety eight yard. How many are even capable of of doing that? Not many, not many at all. Might only be him. Three, maybe like three, maybe like three guys. Yeah, Caleb. Well, cap- and, capable, yeah, Caleb, yeah, Caleb for sure. Yeah, him. Maybe may, maybe Jordan Travis. Maybe yeah. I mean, I, I don't even know if May could do it with his receivers right yeah, now. We talked say, about his receivers last week. I'm not sure he could do it. I I, I don't know. I how I just go. He's doing things that other guys aren't capable of. Yeah. And when you have a quarterback like that, uh, you have at least some non-zero chance against anybody. Yeah. I think Penix maybe could do it too with that offense they got there too. But yeah, man, it is get, yeah. it's, it's a very small club, and that was like a he said he said in the post game he's like I went Brady mode on that drive. You know he looks at Tom Brady as a mentor. He talks to Brady all the time. That was Tom Brady esque <laughs> that drive, man. Yeah, that was Brady esque. So that was phenomenal. That, that, that's as good a drive as you're going to see in college football all year. It might. It, I don't care. I don't. I don't care who's across from Colorado. Colorado State was playing a terrific game. Yeah, they they were. I don't care who's across from you. Those were difficult throws. There were several really difficult NFL level throws on that drive. And if he if he hoists up the stiff arm trophy, the Heisman Trophy at the end of the year, every Heisman winner has their Heisman moment. That was his Heisman moment. That was yeah. Shador Sanders Heisman moment in that game. Um, and we might even see more Heisman moments, man. Because I like I said, I would give him the Heisman Trophy. I think you would give him the Heisman Trophy right now through through three weeks. I mean, it is phenomenal. But I will say, this team is going to be the most electric team every single week because the offense is going to score on anyone and the defense is going to let anyone score on them, basically. So it's going to be interesting seeing them go against Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr. Also, physical teams could expose them too. They play Utah this year. They play Oregon State this year too. Every game, and like we mentioned before, this is a game they were favored by 23 points over a really bad Colorado State team, and they still went to double OT. This team in every single week is 
pure electricity and you better be tuned in for every single Colorado game so again a really fun Colorado team they're going to be a roller coaster all year but man you better be tuned in for every single week because they are going to be awesome so that's what we got though for our uh our week three review we know it's kind of a longer episode but there's a lot to cover and uh i'm just teasing it right now it probably will be a longer episode that you're gonna get on wednesday as well because our preview of week four has seven games that we have to talk about usually we stick to five dawn there are seven games on wednesday that we're gonna be talking about man it's it's um you know and we we talked last week about don't look too much into don't try to project the slate but it's hard not to with this one i mean there's this is this is the week uh where college football starts to take shape you know this past weekend was a fun one it was a fun one yet a lot of teams get scares and we can kind of watch the tape and figure out who's who but no this is the week because there's just too many there's too many head-to-heads you know especially in the pac-12 yeah you know just for a the playoff and b just trying to win the conference winning the pac-12 is going to take some guts this year man it absolutely will. There, so there are six games between ranked teams. I believe three of them are between Pac-12 teams. So the Pac-12 will be on full display this weekend. Oh. So I, I cannot wait for it. And also, that's not even including the Clemson-Florida State showdown that we have to preview as well. And uh, yeah, man, it's a week four. One of the greatest weeks, not only of this year in college football, of the last few years, I would say, in college football. So you will not want to miss our week four preview that is coming uh, pretty soon this week So because we're going to be talking a lot about these games. But that's what we got for this week three review. For producer Eli back there, for Dalton Wasserman, I'm Max Chadwick. We'll see you guys on Wednesday.